Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The second reading is from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Those words again, verse 51, you will see heaven opened. Let me pray. Loving Father, that is our prayer. By nature, we can't see. By nature, the things that are most important and most true are closed to us. So we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, through your word, open our eyes to see you and to see your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. 
Amen. I went to the cinema just about 10 days ago, and it was a unique experience for me. For a start, it was in Oxford. Now, well, there's nothing weird about looking at a film that's based on Oxford, because if you've been here for a while, you'll have often seen film cameras. This is a, a classic place for movies. And uh, all the way through, we were kind of nudging each other, and we were recognizing all sorts of sites. So there's nothing new in that. But what was interesting for me was the, the whole feature of the film was a person who I remember reasonably well from 30 years ago. And so I was not only recognizing places, I was recognizing people, or at least characters who I thought may well have been based on people that I knew. The movie was called Surprised by Oxford, based on a memoir of a lady who was uh, Cara Drake when she was here in Oxford, later married Carolyn Weber. Fascinating memoir of her three or four years as a postgraduate student from Canada here in Oxford, surprised by Oxford. Well, some of you just arrived here. What surprised you? Others of you have been here for many, many years, and if you haven't been here all your life, you can probably just about remember when you first arrived here in Oxford, whether it was to study or to work or your family moved here. Anything surprised you? I think students, almost all, not, not everyone, but most students who come certainly to Oxford University kind of think they're the odd one out, and somehow they've snuck in around the back door, and everyone else is brilliantly intelligent, and they're just ordinary. And uh, the surprise that many people have is actually most of those around you as just as ordinary as you are. You'll be fine. I think of many people from other parts of the world come to Oxford and indeed to England, and they assume that our food is completely tasteless. <laughs> and the surprise is not that it's not tasteless. Now, they discover most of our food is tasteless, but they actually enjoy the desserts. And there's a surprise. Some come to Oxford and they're nothing to do with the university and they're fearful that everything will be dominated by the university and their surprise is that they live here sometimes for years and dare I say it, students, they hardly notice that you're here because another kind of Oxford just carries on. Surprised by Oxford. What Caro discovered that completely surprised her was an encounter with Jesus Christ. She came as a skeptical student. She didn't really believe in the things of God. She had no interest. But then she met various Christian friends, and that intrigued her. They seemed intelligent, and they believed this stuff. And she was studying English literature, and you don't get very far in English literature without discovering that it's seeped in the Bible. Our culture is seeped in the Bible, and that got her thinking. And at first it began as an intellectual interest, but then she encountered Jesus Christ. And as Josh said, during uh, the next few weeks, we're looking at various sections of John's Gospel, and we've called these, this series The Difference Jesus Makes. And we're meeting various people who've met with him today, two of the earliest disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. And I want to focus just on three brief phrases which I think encapsulate Christian faith and indeed experience. They're phrases that echo down the centuries and in many hearts today. Here they are. We have found there's Christian conviction. 
come and see. Well, that's Christian witness. And then those words I quoted right at the beginning, you will see heaven open. There's Christian experience. So first of all, we have found Christian conviction. It's a phrase that actually comes twice, once in the passage we're looking at today, once in the passage immediately before. Andrew and a friend, this is the section where Jesus is beginning to gather his closest followers, the, the 12 disciples. And Andrew and a friend of his have begun to follow Jesus. And Andrew goes to his brother Simon, later known as Peter, Simon Peter, we know him as. And he says, verse 41, just before the section we're looking at today, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then in our section, Philip becomes a follower of Jesus and he goes straight to his friend Nathaniel and there are those words again, verse 45, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, we have found. We're called homo sapiens. But someone said we, we could just as well have been called homo querens. It's the Latin. Beings that search, that quest. Now why is that? I mean, animals, as far as we can tell, don't spend their days thinking, I wonder why we're here. They just go on chewing the cud or whatever that particular kind of animal does. As long as an animal has food, a degree of physical comfort, a mate, happy. But we human beings can have all the material comforts we could dream of, and yet we're still searching because material things are not enough for us. Homo querens. The journalist Bernard Levin was getting older. He was a columnist in the Times, and he wrote these words, Have I time to discover why I was born before I die? I haven't managed to answer that question yet. Why do I have to know why I was born? Because, of course, I'm unable to believe it was an accident. And if it wasn't one, it must have a meaning. The Bible says we are not simply material, physical beings created just to exist with satisfaction in a material, physical world. We are spiritual beings made by a loving God, made in his image to relate to him. We haven't emerged by accident from the immensity of an indifferent, uncaring universe. We're products of love made to relate to the God who is love. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but the Bible tells a story. And Christians, of course, believe it is the story. It's the true story that explains the whole world, explains the little stories of our own lives that fit into that big story. It begins with the great words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we haven't just emerged out of accident. And by the way, that's the big clash, not so much creation and, and evolution, but creation and accident. Are we just here by pure accident? If so, there's no meaning. And it's very weird indeed that we human beings seem to be somehow wired to ask why. Doesn't make sense. 
The Bible says we're wired to ask why because there is an answer to that question. Created by a loving God to relate to him. But then as the Bible tells the story, it tells the story of how we human beings thought life would be much better if we, as it were, pushed God out of the way and lived as if we are the kings and queens of our lives. And the result is a disconnect from the God who made us. It's a bid for freedom, but it ends in a kind of slavery. There's something missing. A fish in the river that decides, so restricting, just to live all my days in this water, I'm going to leap out onto the dry ground, does not think, oh, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> it's pretty quickly gasping for air. It can't breathe if it's not in the water. We human beings are created for an environment of relationship with God. Taken out of that relationship, as we take ourselves out of it, we are left, as it were, gasping for air. And life doesn't make sense. And we search. We search for something to fill that gap, but nothing quite fits. Academic success, money, possessions, sex, relationships, nothing fills the gap. The famous words of you two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, have you? And here are two men who said, I've found, I've found. We have found. We found the Messiah, says Andrew in verse 41. Essentially saying the same thing, but using different words. Philip, in verse 45, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Do you remember the story? Creation, God made everything. Made us to relate to him. To use the Christian jargon, fall. That speaks of our rebellion against God and, and the fact that things are not as they should be. That's where the Bible story could have ended. But four words sum up the whole story of the Bible. Creation, fall. Third word, promise. God promises that he's going to put things right. And God promises he's going to restore relationship with himself. And that even though people have turned away from him, he's still turning towards us. He's promised he's going to put things right. And the law and the prophets, that's a summary for what we know as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And the law and the prophets are pointing forward. They speak of promise. And ultimately, that promise focuses in on the Christ or Messiah. Same person, same title, different languages to describe the same reality. The Bible prophets are saying, in the future, the great king, God's son, will come. And he will restore relationship with the God who made you. Creation, fall, promise. Fourth word, fulfillment. And if you look at the accounts of Jesus' life, there are four of them in the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them begin by looking back, and they're effectively saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that came before. It's the culmination of a story, creation, fall, promise, fulfillment. And what these two disciples are saying is, we've found the one that we've been waiting for, for generations. He's the one who's come to bring us back to God. We have found. Christian conviction, well, it's summed up in those words, basically. 
that Jesus is the answer to the big questions of life. Jesus is the one that we might even not know that we're looking for him, but he is the one we're looking for. We might be looking in all sorts of other places, but actually as we're looking in those other places, we are essentially looking for him, says the Bible. And Christians are those who said, we found. We found the one we're looking for. And Christian faith is all about him. He is God's promised king. Come to restore relationship with God. We have found for me, it was my last year at school. But I found him. I wasn't consciously looking. Actually, rather like Caro Drake, who wrote that uh, memoir, I was studying English literature at the time, and it was through reading my English literature books that the big questions of life, I'd forgotten this, really, until I read her memoir again recently, and it reminded me how significant reading those books of literature was for me, because they put the big questions of life into my mind reading King Lear, Shakespeare's uh, great play. What's a human being? And here's a king with everything, it seems, but then he hands over his authority willingly to, to his daughters. And suddenly this man who had such dignity is reduced to nothing as the daughters push him out of their lives. And he becomes almost like an animal on a heath. And the question is, well, what is a man? Is our dignity just like a, a coat that you place on and it's so vulnerable, you take it away and, and, and what is left is just an animal? Or are we more than that? What's a human being? That was the big question that I began to think about in my level years. And then I read the, uh, one of our set texts, the great 17th century poet George Herbert. Uh, Herbert was a, a politician, a MP, uh, lived a high life, social life. The world was at his feet. And then, just when everything was set for him, he gave up all that and became a country parson, a vicar, in an obscure village. And he wrote stunning, stunning, beautiful Christian poems. And that raised for me the question, who is Jesus Christ? Because it wasn't an idea that had left this dramatic change in his life. It was a person. It made me think, what do I think of him? And that was one of the factors that got me reading the New Testament and one of the Gospels. And to my great surprise, I ended up saying, I found the Messiah. I found the Son of God. We have found. Next phrase. Come and see. And at the first, we've found, that's Christian conviction. Come and see. Here is Christian witness. Philip is so excited that he's found the Christ that he tells his friend Nathaniel. We found the one Moses wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the response comes, verse 46, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Coming from Basingstoke, I've had similar reactions <laughs> often throughout my life. Nazareth? I mean, if the Messiah is going to come, he might come from some great city, but Nazareth, a poxy little place up in the northern part of the country that no one had really heard of. Nazareth. Oh, pull the other one. You don't expect me to believe that the Son of God comes from Nazareth. 
and he just dismisses it. And maybe you're here tonight as someone who's not convinced of Christian faith. And I wonder whether you have a kind of instinctive reaction. It can't be true because of. And for some, it's an instinctive reaction that no God can be real because of suffering in the world. Or because science has disproved religion. Maybe it's very specific to Christian faith. I'm open to the idea that there might be a God, but really, do you expect me to believe that a carpenter who was crucified as a criminal on a cross is the divine son of God? Pull the other one. And just dismiss. Well, if you've got an instinctive reaction against Christian faith, I want to say, we're so pleased you're here. And week by week, we don't want to simply preach to the converted. As Josh said, next week we call it an invitation service and we'd love to see many people come who are not convinced Christians. But we just assume every week there are some of you in that category, actually quite a number of you. And we're delighted you're here. And if your immediate response is, I just can't really believe this, what we'd want to say is, come and see. That's what Philip says. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see. Check it out. Take a look for yourself. The life and teaching of Jesus Christ is the foundation on which so much of Western culture is built. And just walk around Oxford. You'll see church buildings everywhere. It's in the DNA of our architecture of our literature, as I discovered, of our great works of art and music, of our laws. So it makes sense purely at an academic, intellectual kind of interest level to find out about this remarkable man. And of course, there are thousands in this city, millions in our world from every country and culture who worship him as their God, follow him as their Lord, and claim to know him as their friend. Well, that's worth checking out. Come and see. Now, those of us who are Christians, and most of us, I guess, would say, no, I've, I've come and I've seen and I'm following Christ. All of us will know many people who are skeptical. And sometimes that can be a bit in intimidating when you get the impression that people just, just think, come off it. An intelligent person believing that stuff. And you think, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know, how can I witness? Because you believe this is just wonderful truth. But you're not quite sure how to go about it. Well, I found these two phrases really very helpful. It's a kind of reminder of a great way of going about it. We have found, come and see. So if you, some of you just arrived in Oxford, great opportunity. You're meeting people all the time. It's a great opportunity to share something of your faith. But needless to say, just getting up and preaching at people doesn't go down very well. But we have found and come and see. Well, I reckon that might be okay. We found. And what's going on there is story. Let me tell you about my story. How I found. This is what I've found to be the case. And I've found, by and large, people who are interested in that. I'm fascinated by people. I enjoy hearing their stories. Why wouldn't they want to hear my story? 
So just a week ago, I, for the first time in my life, missed a plane, which is very irritating. So uh, rather than coming straight back from uh, Munich to uh, Heathrow, I have to go from Munich to Amsterdam, and then the next morning go from Amsterdam to Heathrow. So I'm, I'm feeling a bit annoyed on a late-night flight from Munich to Amsterdam. I sit next to a man, and he's up for a chat. So I thought, well, I'll make the most of this. So I just asked him some questions, young Dutch guy. I asked him what he's interested in, what he likes doing, and he told me he's passionate about videography. In his spare time, he likes playing gaming. That's, that's his thing. And I keep asking him questions, and, and after a while, he did the obvious thing. He turned to me and said, what about you? What are you into? And I said, well, I, I, love, I love sport, just about any kind of sport. I, I, I love sport. But if you want to know about me, what I'm most into is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. But I wasn't actually always. Uh, that only happened uh, when I was just a little bit younger than you. And he said, oh, what changed? He was interested. Now, if I'd just said, oh, I'm a Christian, I think that could have been a bit awkward. But I just gave him a little bit of a feeder. Uh, yeah, I wasn't always, but it happened when I was just a bit younger than you. And most people are interested. And if they're not interested, they're polite. <laughs> so he asked me the question. And I told him a little bit about my story. And I don't think he felt it awkward at all. If I'd in, been in preaching mode, let me tell you what you need to believe, that could have been quite hard for him. But I wasn't. I was just saying what I found. Can you speak your story? Have you thought about how you might be able to express your story? And perhaps you're thinking, well, I don't really have much of a story. I was raised in a Christian home, and I think I've always, I've always believed it. Oh, you've still got a story. Maybe a moment when something you'd, you'd sort of assumed before just make, became a bit more real. Or a, a truth you'd only vaguely understood really came alive to you. That's a story. Why not practice with a friend? And as you're getting to, to know other Christian friends, and many of us, by the way, don't know one another tonight, so it's a great thing as you get to know each other. So what, what's your story? We found. And then, come and see. Again, no one can be offended by that invitation. They can always say no, but come and see. I was visiting friends in, uh, in America, and um, we were watching baseball on television, and I just don't get it. Cricket? Well, that's obvious. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone, I understand that's hard for some of you. But I just didn't get baseball. I wasn't excited. It didn't make sense. But one of the friends I was staying with, passionate about baseball, and invited me to watch a baseball game. And I went because I wanted to see what he was excited about. And to be honest, I didn't become a convert. <laughs> Still prefer cricket. But I was happy to go along, and I certainly understand it a little bit more than I did before. So um, why not have a go? Come and see. Is there a friend you could think of? Maybe a friend you, you haven't met yet, a friend you'll meet in the next few days, that you could say, come and see. Uh, I'm going to church. Would you be interested? I've been to um, other religious meetings that not Christian because I'm interested. Someone says, oh, do you want to come? I'll go along. Interesting. I'm not going to join them in worship, but I'm fascinated to know what, what goes on. Come and see. 
Or maybe, why not read for yourself? And we want to say this to you if you're someone who's not convinced. And something you could say to a friend, look at Jesus in the Gospels. You might even suggest looking at a bit together. And if you haven't come across the word one-to-one, it's a really excellent resource enabling you to just look together at bits of John's Gospel in a very simple kind of way. We have found. Come and see. And then the final phrase, you will see heaven open. John records a fascinating dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus does go to see. And he's approaching Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 47, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nicodemus thinks, that's a bit weird. We'd never met. And he's making some kind of observation on my character. And so he says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, that really got him thinking. How could Jesus possibly have seen that he was indeed sitting under a fig tree just before he came? But Jesus wasn't there. And yet here's a man who he's never met before, but who knows him. And so he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That maybe doesn't mean a great deal to us unless we were listening carefully in that reading from Genesis chapter 28. But here is Nathaniel. He's a godly Jew who would have known the Scriptures and he would have immediately recognized that reference. It's a reference to a moment in the life of Jacob. Jacob is the father of the nation of Israel from whom uh, his 12 sons are the origins, as it were, the, the, the founders of the tribes of Israel. And Jacob is not a nice piece of work. He's running from home because he's just tricked and deceived not only his father, Isaac, but his brother, Esau. And he's on the run, as it were, heading off. He's got no friends He's got no home. And it must have been a very unsettling time in his life. Perhaps you can identify with that now. So you've arrived somewhere and you feel you, you don't really know anyone. I was just talking to one of you immediately before the service started and just arrived in Oxford. So how's it been? And he said, well, it's a bit weird because I, I, I've not known anyone for more than a week. And so you're having conversations, but no one really knows me. And here is Jacob on the run, very much alone, and he falls asleep. And in, the, in, in his sleep, he has a dream, and he sees a ladder stretching from heaven to earth, and angels are ascending and descending on the ladder. And above the ladder is God, who speaks to Jacob and assures him of his love, and that he has plans for his life. When he awoke, he was very afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, 
This is the gate of heaven. He recognized that at that place, somehow the gate of heaven had been opened and there was communication, connection between him and God. We found that's Christian conviction. Come and see, that's Christian witness. You will see heaven opened. That's Christian experience. Because what's on offer here is a relationship with the living God. And here is Jesus saying, you remember that time in the Old Testament when, as it were, that that gap, which sometimes feels so big between God and human beings, well, it it was open. And, And what felt distant suddenly felt very near, and God was in that place, so much so that Jacob called it Bethel, meaning the house of God. God lives here. God is here. But that was a momentary experience. Jesus says, you'll have that experience. You, and the you is plural. He's not just talking to this one man, Nathaniel. He's talking to all the disciples. He's talking to all of us. He's saying, I'm the one who can open up the way to heaven. I'm the highway between you and God with angels descending and ascending. If you want to meet with God, don't go to some special place place. You don't need to go to a temple or a mosque or a church building. If you want to meet with God, you'll need to come to me. And later in this gospel, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the gate. He's the door back to heaven. So the problem is not just ignorance, that we don't understand enough about God. It's a deeper problem than that. Do you remember the story? Creation. And then fall. We turned away from God. And that's a bad thing to have done. Because God is holy and righteous. The right response to that is to God to judge us. God to turn away from us. And look at all the results of human beings turning away from God. The Bible says that all the mess in the world flows from that. And there's so much mess in the world. Wrong things in our lives and out there too. And a God who cares about right and wrong can't just ignore that. Justice demands that wrongdoing is punished. So how can this gap between God and human beings be bridged? It's not enough simply for God to come and and reveal himself and say, this is what I'm like, because that still deals with the fact that God must judge human evil if we're to be back into relationship with God. But as we'll see in the chapters that follow as we work through John's gospel, Jesus not only comes to reveal, he comes to rescue. And he does it supremely through dying on a cross as he takes upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve, thus opening the door back to heaven. We'll never be able to climb that ladder ourselves. We'll never be good enough for God. But Jesus came down and opened up a door through his perfect life and his sacrificial death. Do you know these things? Well, if so, delight in them again. We have found Make the most of the opportunity, bearing witness. Come and see. And then I see heaven open. Make the most of that open door and walk in communion 
with the living God throughout your time in this city. If you just knew here, it's a new start, but the God you began to follow before is exactly the same here. Enjoy that Christian experience of walking with him and seeking to live for him. And if these things are new, come and see. And a great place to begin, come back next week when we'll think more about the Christian faith. Let me pray. Loving Father, thank you for coming near in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray for those for whom all these things are quite new. Please help them to understand more about your Son, that they might see him as he is for themselves. And for those of us who know these things are true, and we've begun to follow Jesus Help us step by step to live in relationship with him, to live in obedience to him, to enjoy that open communion with you through him. And help us to be able to say to others, come and see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.